Yeah, well, I think, you know, in, again, in the Nordics, we trust our governments blindly. Um, and uh, safe to assume that governments would not misuse that trust. But you can imagine in countries like like China, for example, where CBDC has already been rolled out in a beta version, um, you know, uh, some some tens of millions of people already have access to a digital yuan. Um, so for the Chinese government, it's, you know, they're, they're making sure that private organizations and companies are not getting too much um, the power in payment systems and also it's a perfect way to have full insight into the every transaction that every Chinese person makes so that uh, that role of governments being able to actually getting information as to all the financial transactions that you do that's not something that people want I don't think Nordic governments would yeah, would do that and would you know uh, misuse uh, citizens trust in that way but other places, other countries around the world, I would not be so sure. Liv, thank you so much for, for joining us. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you with us. Um, so let's just get started. And why don't we start by um, tell us, telling us a little bit about MBX, what does it do, and what's its main value proposition? Hi, Chris. Thanks so much for inviting me to this uh, talk today. So uh, NBX, which is the company I work for, it's actually called Norwegian Block Exchange, is a cryptocurrency exchange. Um, and a cryptocurrency exchange is the place you would go to to access crypto for the first time. It's where you can exchange fiat or traditional money into crypto, various cryptos. And once you do that, you can trade between different cryptos and you can buy and sell various cryptos. And then when you want to take them out of an exchange and use them in your daily life, you can exchange them back into fiat currencies. Okay. Um, and as we all know, cryptocurrencies have sort of gone mainstream over the past four years. But I think there is still a lot of unclarity as to what cryptocurrencies are and um, how they work. So maybe can, could you explain in your own words what cryptocurrency is all about? Yeah, sure. And I think just to introduce, because uh, I find a lot of people or most people are still really confused as to what cryptocurrencies are and why we need them, uh, what the benefits are to them. And the more they, they kind of study them, the more confused they get. Um, and I have that same feeling myself, although I work in this field. And I think that the, the thing is that people think money is confusing. Like, what is money? They don't understand what goes into money. It's so many things. It's something that you use in your everyday life to buy uh, things, to make transactions. You have them in the bank. But how money is actually issued and who controls it and how the value of a, a, you know, any currency is actually established and maintained is something that you know you and I we don't think about that when we use money in our daily lives it's just something that works for us um, and we don't really uh, think about all the complexities that go into traditional money so the same is true with cryptocurrencies you can go into all the complexities and try to understand the blockchain technology understand all the different coins and you know what defines them you can understand try to understand monetary policy and how it affects cryptocurrencies uh, you know, the sustainability issues with mining, et cetera. And then it becomes really, really confusing. And um, I think we're still not at that point where people 
think of cryptocurrencies as a digital currency, a digital asset that you know is useful in their daily lives. So I'll try to give a, a simple explanation of a cryptocurrency. So um, it's a digital currency or an asset, and unlike traditional currencies, it's not issued by a government or a nation state. So it's borderless. Another feature that um, defines cryptocurrencies is that it is decentralized, meaning that um, it can be transferred between people and between parties without going through traditional banking infrastructure, for example. And a third uh, feature that needs to be explained about cryptocurrencies is that um, they're secured by cryptography. So that makes them almost impossible to manipulate. Uh, you cannot, for example, double spend a cryptocurrency and it's very difficult to counterfeit them. All right, so um, you've mentioned a number of, of, of terms that I'd like to, us to explore a little bit more in detail. Uh, precisely because I think still the terminology can be quite confusing for most of us. So, so you've talked about digital currencies, you've talked about cryptocurrencies, and we also know there's things like stable coins and altcoins and central bank digital currencies. Can you help us understand what's the difference between all these new types of, of money? Yeah. Um, so, you know, for most of us, at least those of us who are in the Nordics, all money is already digital and it has been digital for, you know, for many years already. Um, so digital fiat money and fiat money is traditional currencies, traditional money like Danish and Norwegian kroner, uh, euros, etc. Um, they're digital for most of us. Um, and they come in the form of bank money. So it's money that's issued by banks. And it's created by banks when they give someone a loan. That's how fiat money is, is created in a way. Um, and the digital money that you have in kroner or euros is available to you often through apps like Swish or Vips or through your debit card, for example, or Apple Pay. And then there's government issued money, which is cash. And there's very little cash left in society today. Um, so that takes us into CBDCs, which are central bank digital currencies, which are um, digital currencies that are issued by governments. And governments all over the world are um, working on projects to sort of explore this uh, concept right now. I know it's happening, I think it's happening in, in Denmark and in, in Sweden, Norway definitely, and um, it's much further in, uh, in some countries around the world. Um, so a digital bank, uh, sorry, a central bank digital currency is kind of like digital cash. It would be digital money that's created by the government um, and could be used, for example, to, to make sure there is an alternative to bank money in case of a crisis, um, where you cannot, where people cannot access their bank money, for example. And I think it's also come about because cryptocurrencies, so um, non-government uh, um, digital money, um, has taken on such a big role in society and governments are trying to prepare for a time where cryptocurrencies are, are be, being really relevant in people's lives. And they want a government-issued currency, which... Um, uh, which is has some of the similarities that to cryptocurrencies. Yeah, so then there are cryptocurrencies which are non-government issued 
um, digital currencies, right? Um, the most famous one, of course, is Bitcoin. Um, and then you have various other currencies that, you know, there are thousands of them. And um, you may have heard the term altcoins, so alternative coins. And it's a term that's often used for any current digital currency, any cryptocurrency that's not Bitcoin. So that, that's basically what an altcoin is. Um, there's another term called stablecoins that you may have heard of, and it's um, a concept where a cryptocurrency, so a currency that, that you know runs on a blockchain, um, is pegged directly to a fiat currency, for example, the US dollar. And so that way you have the benefits of a cryptocurrency. It can move without a central middleman, without going through a bank, for example. It runs on the, it's secured on the blockchain, but it doesn't have that volatility, those huge swings in value that um, cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and others do. So that makes it useful for, um, you know, for many uh, things like payments, transfers, uh, foreign exchange, etc. Okay, so it seems that we're talking about an alternative monetary system that's, that's emerging. Um, in, in your view, what have been the drivers that have caused this alternative monetary system to, to start to emerge? What's wrong with the traditional system? Well, um, again, you know, we're, this is, um, um, we're, we're living and talking in the Nordics here. And for most of us, we have a, a monetary system and we have a banking system and a financial system that works really well for us. You know, we have in Norway, where I come from, we trust our banks so much that, you know, um, we, um, we're we not afraid of keeping our money in, in banks. We're not afraid of, of um, um, not being able to um, uh, take them out again when we need them. We're not afraid that the value of our money, our, our fiat money, will suddenly um, fall or that, you know, they won't be worth anything. But a lot of people around the world live in countries where they've seen the value of their fiat money, so their traditional currencies, really just uh, uh, completely deflate. So uh, money that they've had saved up in the banks suddenly are worth very little. Um, they see governments acting in a way that, that makes them unsure that um, those governments are fit to actually um, safeguard their, their money. Um, they have banking institutions that, um, you know, may be corrupt, where money is not kept safe. So there are many reasons why people uh, in many parts of the world have really been searching for an alternative, a way of making sure they own their own money. They can hold their own money without holding it in a in a bank. Um, they can transfer money in a safe way, also without, um, for example, being um, uh, without all those transfers and transactions um, being looked into by government or you know by financial institutions. Uh, so that's one main driver of cryptocurrencies. Another is the fact that monetary policy, which which is are the tools that governments around the world have to um, sort of control the traditional financial system and financial uh, or money system, they've seen those monetary policies being used in ways uh, that have actually created inflation. So over the past few years, many people have seen um, the value of their traditional money go down because governments have pumped so much extra money into the economy. Um, for example, after the, 
corona um, pandemic. Um, and they don't trust governments to safeguard their traditional money anymore. So I think those are important drivers. And then you have just the fact that, you know, digitization is taking place everywhere. Uh, all parts of society are being digitized and banking and uh, finance have also been digitized, but not in a, not in a very profound way. We've, we haven't said in the traditional banking and um, financial system, let's create money from scratch. And that is almost what cryptocurrencies are. It's saying if we could start over again today with the technology that we have available and the knowledge that we have available and knowing how governments and um, centralized systems work, how would we do it knowing all that we know today? I want to pick up on a word that you used uh, at the very beginning. You talked about the decentralized system. Mm -hmm. can, you, can you maybe explain what are the benefits of a decentralized system as opposed to a centralized one? Yeah. So a centralized system is basically a bank, for example, is a central player in the traditional financial system. Everything that you do when you transact, when you pay for something in a store, you may not see that your bank is involved, but it's involved. Money goes from your bank account into the bank account of the merchant. Um, so it goes through a centralized system. A decentralized system doesn't have that middleman. So a transaction can go directly, for example, in cryptocurrency, if I was able to pay using Bitcoin, for example, it could go directly from my wallet into the wall your wallet, for example, without going through a bank. Uh, so that is um, one, you know, a very important feature of uh, a decentralized system. Then you have another aspect to uh, the decentralized nature of cryptocurrencies, and that has to do with how transactions are secured on the blockchain. So in um, a traditional fiat uh, transaction, the bank will be the one securing the transaction. In, in the Bitcoin um, ecosystem, that transaction uh, will be secured on the blockchain by something called um, proof of work, which is a very decentralized way of securing that a transaction is legitimate and that it is secured on, on the blockchain. Um, so it involves often, you know, thousands of computers doing a computational mathematical um, uh, piece of work. Um, and the one, the computer solving that problem first is the one who secures the transaction on the blockchain. Okay, so we've seen a number of different responses from central banks to cryptocurrency. We have the, the example of Norway, where the central bank has said, uh, well, has been encouraging uh, citizens to, to declare their holdings in cryptocurrencies, um, all the way to the case of Nigeria, where uh, the government outright banned the use and the, and the, and, and the holding of, of cryptocurrencies. So th my question to you is, do you think that this this inspiring idea of, of giving power back to the users could could revert back to giving power to the institutions if we see regulation increasing over the way in which cryptos are are created and used yeah and so that that is always a, a question that's debated in you know in, in uh, cryptocurrency circles do we need to regulate the space more or is it already regulated enough um, and people don't agree on this um, personally i i think that it would cryptocurrencies need some regulation and some regulatory clarity more than what exists today. Um, first and foremost, 
to make sure that um, investors or you know users of cryptocurrencies are safeguarded. This is people's money, so and people's values and people's assets. And um, today there are very few formal requirements as to how, for example, an exchange like NBX um, um, safeguards those funds. So we're in many ways self-regulated. We know that if we don't take you know, if we don't secure our customers' funds, we have absolutely no futures. But of course, on the flip side of that is that if you regulate cryptocurrencies too much, they'll end up acting more and more like traditional currencies, right? And um, the whole thesis behind cryptocurrencies is that they should not be um, regulated. They should not be controlled by governments. They should not... Um, uh, you know, have monetary policy influence them too much because then they may lose some of that, uh, uh, some of the, you know, the, the values that were part of their origin. Um, so back to your question, could the fact that cryptocurrencies become more regulated end up making them more centralized or bringing power back to central institutions? Um, in a way, yes because it could mean that in order to oblige with regulations, um, you will need to, to to have like a central entity because it's being regulated, you know, is, um, uh, is very difficult unless you have the resources to actually make sure you fulfill all those requirements. Um, but I think the benefits of more regulatory clarity outweigh the, you know, um, the fact that you lose some of the independence that a completely free um, cryptocurrency would um, would mean. Do you see cryptocurrency as a threat to the to the established monetary system? I think many parts of the established monetary system see cryptocurrencies as a threat. Um, I'm often surprised by the fact that banks are not engaging and involving more in cryptocurrencies than they are. If I, you know, if I was the head of a traditional bank today, I would definitely encourage people in my organization to start exploring cryptocurrencies, to maybe invest in them, see how they work, follow them, learn as much as they can, because um, cryptocurrencies in some way, shape or form will take uh, on a big part of, or, you know, a big role in, in our economy. I'm quite um, sure of that. You know, hundreds of millions of people around the world already own cryptocurrencies. So cryptocurrencies are not going to disappear. Um, but of course, they threaten some of the business models in traditional finance and in the traditional banking system. Um, an example of that is if you can send money from one country to another using cryptocurrencies or a stable coin, for example, which is pegged to a, a traditional money, um, instead of use, doing a, a normal traditional foreign exchange through your bank, you will save lots of money and lots of time because that transaction isn't, doesn't have to go first from your local bank to a bigger bank in, in Copenhagen, perhaps, and then to a bank in Germany, and then to another bank in the country where you want to send it, and then onto the local bank of the recipient. With so many steps and each bank taking a small margin of, uh, you know, a transaction fee, um, you're paying a high price for that. And that's a very lucrative service that banks are keen to keep. 
Um, cryptocurrencies, of course, they threaten that business model. So in some ways, yes, um, cryptocurrencies can be seen as a threat. I, I think personally that they are much more of an opportunity. They represent um, uh, a very secure, a very transparent uh, way of uh, doing transactions um, that are borderless, um, that are just built on a system which bypasses the, you know, the, the very old technology and IT systems that current banks are now, you know, running on. Uh, I think also the other side of that is do cryptocurrencies threaten sort of monetary policy and governments um, and regulators? And I do think governments and regulators are afraid of what cryptocurrencies mean because cryptocurrencies are outside of the reach of monetary policy. So governments cannot set interest rates on cryptocurrencies. And especially the interest rate is a very powerful tool that governments all over the world use to make sure that, you know, to, uh, to stabilize the economy, to make sure there's um, that inflation doesn't go too high um, and if we all went over to a world of using cryptos then governments would lose that tool. So we've been talking about cryptos uh, a lot now I would like you to help us understand what's the role of an exchange like MBX in the whole crypto economy. Okay so uh, an exchange is really um, a very necessary entity in the crypto space because it it is the it's almost the bridge between fiat and crypto the world of fiat traditional money in the world of crypto it's where you would go with your fiat money to exchange it into a cryptocurrency like bitcoin for example and make your first investment or purchase of a cryptocurrency um, most cryptocurrencies also will um, keep your crypto for you so you can store it there instead of taking it out into your own uh, digital wallet uh, which means that you would then have to you know um, keep your own uh, keys and and um, make sure that you're keep them in a secure way that many people um, choose to do that anyways but you can also store it on the exchange um, then the exchange works in many ways like any other exchange where you buy and sell stock, for example. So if you know if you see that the price is um, is good, you would buy. Um, the price goes up, you sell. You may trade into another cryptocurrency. So you you basically do trading and investing on the on the uh, exchange platform. So I think of uh, the exchange as sort of your first step into the world of crypto, and then a way of um, of investing doing you know financial investments in cryptocurrencies um but nbx has you know we have ambitions of doing much more than that um we have uh, we think the world of crypto has great potential um, and we want people to once they're invested and they own cryptocurrencies we, we would like to be able to see them use those cryptocurrencies so our goal is to create um a complete crypto bank so basically um, uh, a bank which you know in many ways would look like what you're used to but which provides products and services where you can you know you can you can in, um, have loans you can perhaps have uh, cards you can make payments you can make investments you can do things that you're used to doing in your traditional fiat world, you should be able to do those things in uh, in your crypto world. And 
I think when we talk about cryptocurrency, we've been discussing this idea of um, of changing the way in which the, the, the decision making around the features that the, the currency has changes, right? From the, we talked about centralization versus these decentralized models. Now, do you think that the way in which cryptocurrency uh, uses these decentralized models could be a blueprint for how other important areas of life, like I don't know, politics or education, could be transformed through inno through innovation? Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And I think both the concept of decentralization is kind of, you know, bringing, giving power back to people. So it's a really s simple concept. It's just saying, you know, we're sick of a central entity having too much power. We've seen too many examples of it being misused um, or just um, not giving us the services that we want. Mm -hmm. So that's a, a, you know, that's a, an idealistic but really great aspect of cryptocurrencies that you know if that could happen in in politics for example um it's it's kind of dispersing power and and uh, decentralizing that um the same in education but i think another idea around cryptocurrencies which would be interesting to look into in other parts of society is just thinking if we could do this again from scratch and forget about all the systems, all the infrastructure, all the history, all the policies and rules and you know ideas of how we have to do things because we've always done things this way. If we could scrap all of that and start from scratch today, how would we build up the educational system? How would we build the political system? And that's a really super interesting idea. What what do you think we 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 can expect to see in terms of the disruption of the traditional monetary system within the next five to ten years? You know, the traditional monetary system has uh, lived for so long; uh, it's not going to disappear in the next five to ten years. And just seeing how long it takes to create regulation, for example, the EU has a. Um, a regulatory package called uh, Mika, so markets in um, crypto assets, which is a big regulatory package. It will probably not be um, put into effect for another few years. So things take really long when it comes in the, in in anything that has to do with government and anything that has to do with uh, monetary policy. Um, but I think what will happen over the in the short term is that more and more politicians and regulators will understand that this needs to be part of their part of what they're interested in, part of what they're talking about, part of what uh, they're discussing in Parliament. In you know, uh, because they will have to be concerned with what voters are interested in. And I think more and more people, as they see the benefits of crypto, they will be um, interested in how. Uh, politicians are viewing it, how they're um, regulating it, etc. Um, and I, I think the financial institutions will slowly also start to um, uh, enact more with uh, crypto players and with the crypto world. And I think when crypto is a bit more regulated, financial institutions will feel safer, um, you know, building a bridge between between traditional finance and crypto finance. Well, Liv, it's been an absolute pleasure hearing you explain these very complex terms uh, and, and concepts to us. So thank you so much for, for your time. And thank you so much. 
And of course, we, we look forward to seeing you in, uh, in September for Nordic FinTech Week, where we can continue this uh, fascinating conversation. I'm so looking forward to it. I can't wait to go back to Copenhagen and Nordic FinTech Week is great. So really looking forward to seeing you there. We're very excited to welcome you here in September. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thanks, Liv. Bye.